Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the longest running Bigfoot podcast on Blog Talk Radio. The original Squatch Detective Radio featuring your host, Steve Coles and Chris Bennett. Three decades of Bigfoot research, two decades of Bigfoot radio. Here we go. 911, what are you reporting? Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. And then this thing walks across the road, takes a turn towards us, and then leaps over a guardrail. Uh, all I can remember is flipping the light on, and I see this creature, and I knew, I knew in my heart, I knew in my mind, in the whole night, this isn't a man. And the whole time, the whole thing was shadowing us, right behind us, right on the side of us. You could, you could kind of see the thing moving through the woods. There are thousands of perfect people whose word would be good on any other subject who describe getting a good look at an enormous hair-covered upright animal, and that is a fact. And good evening, cyberspace. Welcome to Squatch Detective Radio for today's date, April 7, 2019. I'm your host, your guide, the Squatch Detective Steve Coles, along with, well, the man who just caught up with the movies, Mr. Chris Bennett. How are you, Chris? <laughs> oh, Steve, man, we're doing good here in Kentucky. Uh, sw- just uh, recently switched internet providers, and uh, I think it took them about five days in between uh, canceling one service and having the other one installed, and I realized something. I'm addicted to the net. <laughs> <laughs> How'd it feel and, to be unplugged? Kind of, kind of yeah, bad, huh? Every, every, everybody in the household was, you know, sitting around having DTs, you know, oh, God, I need to surf the net, you know, <laughs> I need to look at eBay, you know, but uh, we finally, uh, we finally got it going on. You know, you know so, it's pretty bad in your household where everybody talks via Facebook Messenger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't you know, say nothing to nobody. Just do, 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 do. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, well, spring sprung a little bit today. How long it lasts, I have no idea. Uh, oh, just yeah. two days ago, just two days ago in good old New York, we had snow. Yeah, yeah, we had uh, we had some nice weather here the last few days. Well, if you don't count the rain showers, but man, anytime it gets up in the late, in the high sixties. I am tickled to death. That's fine. <laughs> you keep making that stuff, you'll just pickle. <laughs> but um, no, it's been uh, quiet on all fronts. I know there was one fake news story going around uh, the uh, internet last week, uh, having to do mm-hmm. with a couple that was. Um, doing the uh, old persnickety wearing Bigfoot costumes and were shot. And, of course, oh, that no. was a fake story. Well, no, it never happened, but it was a good fake story. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it, it kind of rem- reminds me of the guy that uh, said somebody shot at him uh, something, thought he was Bigfoot somewhere in, uh, gosh, I don't remember, Washington State or somewhere. <laughs> I can't remember. It's been been a while ago, but... Uh, he claimed that some guy shot at him and, and thought he was Bigfoot. But uh, I, I think that was like a false police report because nobody seems to believe the guy, so I don't know. Well, and apparently there's this new photo circulating on uh, 
on the uh, web, and, uh, and I know Ken uh, actually saw that too. Uh, we'll be talking with our guest here, Ken Gerhard, in one second. Um, great show. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have Ken on. But there's this uh, picture circulating around the web of an alleged trail cam. Um, and uh, there is uh, Ken made a very interesting observation, so I'll, I'm going to hold that uh, my comments and thoughts on yeah. it until we get Ken on and, and uh, talk about it. Of course, you know this is all very preliminary stuff by everybody. You know, we just see this picture, not much backstory on it. And when there's not much backstory on something, uh, that always raises a flag to me. So we'll have to take a look at this. Uh, um, uh, the actual story, and I'm looking at it now. But we'll 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 cover that in a little bit, and and and, and throw our thoughts out. I just pulled it up on my phone so we can uh, talk about it. But uh, you know, let me let me get Ken on, and uh, and hello, Ken. Good evening, sir. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we doing tonight? Hey, Ken. Doing great, man. Hey, Chris. We are doing wonderful. So. Uh, I, I just want to say, Ken and I are both going to be at the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure, which is May 31st, June 1st, June 2nd, Benner's Meadow Run in Pennsylvania, about an hour and a half south of Pittsburgh. Going to be an awesome, awesome time, and I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to, to chilling with you, Ken. Oh, same here, man. It's been too long. Definitely been too long. Absolutely. It'll be fun. The last time we ran into each other was uh, a couple of years ago at Chautauqua Lake, and they haven't announced it yet, but I am also going to be at the Mid-South Paranormal, which you're going to be at, too, in uh, late June. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'll that'll definitely be a good time as well. So uh, I'm stoked about, you know, so we're... We're gonna we're gonna have our fill of one another in the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, a lot of cool uh, events going on these days. Yep. It's, uh, um, it's so, good, yeah, it's good for the field. I think that you know there's so many lectures and presentations on all aspects of you know unexplained phenomenon. Yep, and, I, and I'm always one to say you know if somebody it doesn't necessarily have to jive with what I believe or what somebody else believes. But as long as they're presenting the material in a, in, in a grounded way, I think it's great for the field, and uh, you know that's uh, that's something uh, you do as well. And uh, <clears throat> I didn't happen to catch it, but I know you just appeared on uh, is it in search of monsters on was it the Travel Channel was that on or was that the History? Yeah, channel? Travel Channel new show travel. in search of monsters. Mm-hmm. It debuted Wednesday night, and I think they rebroadcast it this morning. Well, you know, my 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 cable has been out for a couple of days because, uh, and I haven't had time to call the cable company because we had a power outage here. Uh, I think it was Tuesday. We had high wind, and my cable box hasn't reset itself yet. So I'm gonna have to. Get them to and get working on it. So, but, uh, um, man, just just cut the cord, Steve. Dude, just buy you one of those uh, fire stick things and 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 watch uh, watch online. You know, about all these stations now is free anyway, man. I mean, uh, you could watch them on your computer if you wanted to. It's not really worth the cable cable bill, I don't think. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you hear that, Kenny? Saying your show's not worth the cable bill. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he can, he's saying you can still get the show. I think he's taking a little jab at you, Steve, saying you're, uh, you're a little behind the times there on your digital entertainment setup. But I'm I'm kind of in your same boat. I Where I live, I have to pay for cable. It's, like, mandatory. Yeah. So I'm stuck with it whether yeah. I want it or not. But, you know. <laughs> Good point, though, Chris. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying something I'm trying something new. It's it's like a streaming service, and it costs ten dollars a month, and it is legal, you know. But uh, the thing is, you know, you're you're pretty much uh, having to count on uh, you got to have a good internet speed, so your movies don't buffer and all that crap. But uh, you know, it is a good alternative because I think we were paying like over a couple of hundred bucks. <laughs> it really wasn't worth it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever people watch, uh, hopefully they'll they'll figure out a way to to check out In Search of Monsters. I mean, you know, it's a cool show. It's um, yeah. It's by it's by the producers of Ancient Aliens. So I mean, they, you know, they're people that that watch that show that they might sense a little bit of that kind of the vibe. So, but they they are uh, the producers of, in my opinion, I've gotten to know the producers pretty well, and they they want it to. To be an intelligent show, they want to present a lot of different theories on different types of cryptids, and uh, you know they are getting some people that are fairly knowledgeable on some of these subjects. I mean, um, they have an awesome folklorist. Uh, so I mean, it, you know, it's uh, it's information. <clears throat> what people can take from it, whatever they want. It's entertainment and it's information, and uh, you know, they're they're like any TV show. There might be a a few moments where people roll their eyes, you know, it's just uh, ultimately that steps up to the to the networks and the TV producers, you know. So, yeah, I, in fact, I, I actually, um, Katie had actually watched it and uh, had told me that it, it's much like uh, like an episode of Monster Quest almost. You know, it's very ground based and very informative and throws a lot of stuff at you. And, that is really cool, and, uh, and so I, I, midi. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say are, are, you're now you're more in more than one episode. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be in. Uh, I've learned I'm going to be in nine episodes. There's ten awesome. episodes total, and I'm going to be in nine of them. So I'm, I'm a commentator in most, and then they are going to feature kind of like a little. The first episode did. There's always going to be like a little mini expedition somewhere in the episode. Maybe not like a full. Oh. Monster Quest length expedition that lasts the whole episode, but you know, just a little short one. So I did a couple of those as well, and um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Awesome. Well, if if they, if they and I I keep keeping my fingers crossed that they pick it up for a second season. Hey, send them up our way. We'll go look for the Beast of the East. That's the way. I, Absolutely, know. man. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm sure they would be down for that. Yep, that would be a lot well. That's, of fun. that's the thing, you know. All of the uh, the Bigfoot shows and stuff, and Monster Quest and stuff, all that's getting canceled, and and we need some more good ones, you know. We we need to. Uh, if one gets canceled, sure, that's okay, but they need to add something else to take its place. And uh, I'll, I'll always support those shows, uh, regardless whether I like it or not. <laughs> I'll watch it. And, uh, you know, you see people, sometimes you, I see friends on there, and sometimes I see people that I don't really think much of, but, you know, hey, that's part of it, and, and I'll watch the entire show. And, uh, JB. <laughs> and, and, I'm uh, sorry, Steve, I'm, I'm reading in the chat, man. Go ahead. No, Go ahead. no, well, no. I, I, 
our, our buddy Jay Bachochin is also going to be on uh, the show as well uh, when they yeah. do the uh, Beast of Bray Road. So that that's kind of cool. Yeah, they picked oh. a lot of good folks. And the eyewitnesses, that's always a good part of these shows. If you get to hear, like, firsthand eyewitness testimony, sometimes you can learn some some cool things that way. So, yeah, well said, Chris. I mean, but, you know, here's the thing. We all know that TV and, and culture in general is cyclical, right? So, I mean, yeah, you had yep. Monster Quest kind of ran its course, and then there was a little drop-off, and then Finding Bigfoot kind of picked up for a while, and, yeah. you know, then that went away. So it's like that's that's what they do in these any type of TV programming is they th- things cycle around and then they come back again. But I think we're at a good place because the Travel Channel has really committed to programming about you know cryptozoology and ghosts and all kinds right. of just weird me- mysteries at the museum and just all kinds of weird stuff, which I like. Well, <laughs> what, well, again, what got me about Monster Quest, Ken, was uh, you know I would go online and check this stuff. And check the ratings for each, like each show each week. And every time they had the Bigfoot, uh, you know, uh, titled show on there, Sasquatch or you know the the Beast of Kentucky or whatever crap. <laughs> as long as it was talking about Bigfoot, their ratings were like way up there. And then when they did the one like the Monster Shark or something, uh, that that show the the week uh, the week of that show, the ratings were way down. So I think they could have kept Monster Quest on the air had they just kept doing more shows about uh, Bigfoot. But, uh, you know, I understand, you know, they they wanted to try to uh, cover a wide uh, array of, uh, you know, creatures. But, uh, well, I, I, I have to make some comment in the chat. Uh, Mr. Bennett, mm. and Ken, you're going to get a chuckle out of this. Mr. Bennett is very proud he can get Destination America now. Unfortunately... Yeah. Destination America was bought by the Travel Channel, so all the Destination American programs are now migrating to the Travel Channel. Which, oh, well, which, that was one which of the beefs I Chris probably with, can't get. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the beefs that I had with my cable service. We got the Travel Channel, but we didn't get Destination America. And... Uh, now, uh, since I've cut the cable and, and, and gone with the streaming service, I get Destination America and, you know, the Travel Channel, too. But uh, you know, I, I would see those shows. Uh, they would have a lot of cryptozoologist shows on uh, Destination America. And I would get so mad because, you know, I, I couldn't watch it. I'd click on it. I'm oh, sorry, the service not available. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, and, 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 and one other commentary. If you noticed... Uh, Tactical Bigfoot Research um, wrote that I have to get the cable fixed by the end of the month because yeah. <laughs> the, the reason why is is TAC and uh, one of our scientists are holding up with me during the Nezra expedition, yeah. and that's at the end yeah. of the month either. So we'll be the end of the month. Uh, I, I will be out in the in the Adirondacks uh, on my first mission of the year. And then I'm going to be following it up with my team mission sometime in May and then follow it up with the Bigfoot camping adventure. So busy, busy schedule coming up, but we will keep the radio shows cranking. Um, so let's get back to our guest because we've kind of gone astray in a muck like we normally do on this program. Um so, uh, so Ken, what's what's new? What's exciting? I mean, obviously the 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 television program's exciting. I'm uh, you got some new books on the way. You got some stuff going on. 
I'm working on a new book. I'm writing a Bigfoot book, finally, a book uh, that's exclusively Bigfoot related. So I've been working a lot on that. And um, for a while, and I, Lyle Blackburn and I were trying to produce our own documentaries kind of kind of series, but uh, that's that's been a real challenge. We kind of had to put that a hold. We both have so much going on, and it just was taking so much time and and resources, but hopefully we'll we'll circle that back around. It's called American Monster Tour. We got one episode done, oh. and we kind of kind of oh, got stuck cool. on the second one. Um, what else? Uh, some you know cool investigations here and there, and uh, I'm also a, a volunteer at the San Antonio Zoo, so I I go there uh, once or twice a week and uh, teach classes, and it's uh, just fun kind of being around all the animals and stuff and. So, you know, just got a lot going on, Steve. It's always, life is good. And as you said, there are a lot of events coming up this year. Um, this coming weekend is the Southeast Texas Bigfoot Conference in Huntsville. It's the uh, second year. They had 1,000 people turn up for the first year. Wow. Last year, wow. it was really mind-blowing how many people supported it. Bob Gimlin yeah. going to be there this year. Um and then uh, third weekend of April, I'm in North Car- Littleton, North Carolina, for a crypto paranormal festival. They have a lot of apparently Bigfoot sightings around Littleton, North Carolina. And then uh, end of the month, I'm going to be at the International Cryptozoology Conference in Portland, Maine, up there with Lauren Coleman and at his museum. And uh, so, yeah, there's just a lot going on, man. Feel very blessed. Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, uh, I mean, what? what? What is your favorite part of, of the conferences? Mine is always the mingling. That's to me is the, the 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 crux of the whole thing. I mean, I look at them as great social events. How about you? Oh yeah, you know, meeting new, you know, seeing old friends, um, you know, reconnecting with people, that, uh, meeting your heroes. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of my heroes are you know fellow researchers and investigators, and just getting inspired by them and. You know, you always kind of make a connection with some new people, which is always kind of fun. Open some doors, and you know, some of the some of the people that relate stories and accounts. There are, of course, experiences or eyewitnesses that show up to a lot of events, and um, sometimes their stories can be very compelling, uh, or their accounts sometimes not so compelling. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. Those can be fun and interesting too. You know, so. Um, <laughs> Just all of it, man. They're just, you know, just, uh, yeah, but I think I'm with you there. It's fun. The camaraderie is nice. Yep. Absolutely. And it's it's always nice, I think, at these events to kind of, you know, see people on a personal level. I mean, so much where, where you know, we, 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 you know, we either see each other on television or we see each other on Facebook and, you know, through blogs, but... The, the the you know you actually get to to connect with people I think when you when you're face to face and that that is you know I I don't know how many people have said boy you're a lot shorter than I thought <laughs> like, <really? laughs> sorry I'm only five ten oh. I'm I'm sorry I'm not <laughs> TV makes you look so taller huh? <laughs> yeah it also makes me look fatter too. <laughs> Uh, um, good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> usually that's the first comment I get. You're shorter than I thought. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm also dumber than you thought too. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, you guys. I don't see how you never do meet, it. I, never I, meet I would, your heroes. Right? 
I, yeah, I would rather not be on TV at all. You know, I'm fine with watching it, but I don't want a camera pointed at me. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've got a face for radio, and that's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hear you, man. Well, yeah. you know, there are always there are some frustrating parts. You know, you are putting a lot of faith. You know, people, and I understand people that are critical about about the TV shows and the programming. Some of the diehard people that, you know, that it ruins things in a lot of ways. Uh, I kind of see it in terms of you know, it's important that it you know raises the top the subject matter in conversation. It raises public awareness. People talk about the stuff of around, hopefully around the water cooler. So, you know, if it opens some people's minds to something like Bigfoot being out there or, or, or some other yeah. cryptid or something, um, you know, so you're kind of shining a light on the subject matter. Now, of course, the trade-off is ultimately, you know, you do have the networks and the, the executive producers that are calling the shots, the people that are spending the big money. And yeah. they, they, you know... You kind of roll the dice sometimes, but you you know you hope you connect with the right people that are going to try to portray everything in a fairly positive uh, and objective yep. light. Um, but you know there are there are always going to be, unfortunately, on any TV show. I think there are going to be those aspects where the the networks or the producers just you know for entertainment value, you know maybe maybe they cut or edit something a certain way, and it's not it's not always ideal. Um, yeah. But, you know. You know, I, I see it in terms of having an opportunity to raise public awareness, but also put out the best information that I can and hope that they use it. If they don't, <laughs> you know, it's, it is what it is. But, but um, well, see that that was one of the things that they did to uh, Matt Moneymaker on on Finding Bigfoot. Uh, it was it was a uh, I, I don't remember the name of the episode, but they had they was doing a, a, a thermal scan of the area. And they found they they got a shot of a horse. Well, you know they just looked at it for a second. Like, oh, all right, look at that. Oh, no, it's a horse. Okay. Well, when they cut the uh, episode, uh, they left that in. Oh, we've got a shot. We got something over on thermal. Then they show the the thermal image and something looks like it's standing up. You know. And then they cut to commercial. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he got some. I remember he got some feedback uh, on that. Oh well, there was some bad feedback on it at the Bigfoot forum, and people didn't like that because you know they should have said right away, oh, well, that's a horse, you know. But uh, they kind of left that open, and and of course, you know, everybody kind of realizes they got to do some stuff to make it uh, interesting and and edge of the seat kind of thing, but. Uh, you know, there's there's a thin line between doing that and lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of the double-edged sword. You're right. Sometimes, um, but you know, again, there there are a lot of people that might be flipping through channels that aren't as a, uh, obsessed with Bigfoot and Sasquatch right. and things like that as we are, and most people are. And exactly. Those are the people they're trying to grab. You know, that maybe just have kind yeah. of a, a, a passive interest or something. So. Yeah, yeah. I always try to yeah, keep in it's mind that it's, it's, the show is for entertainment, and it has to be entertaining. And uh, you know that that's 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 part of it. Uh, not everything is uh, like a serious documentary, but I, you know I enjoy those too. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. But uh, heck, man, I'm up for anything about Bigfoot. You know, any kind of movies, and, and then, any kind of shows, whatever. <laughs> and then and then of course what they do is they they try to cliffhanger it. Around the commercial, 
to keep people yeah. from flipping that channel during the commercial. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and that, 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 that's another major thing they do. They do this build yep. up and then you get the letdown after the commercial. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I, you know, I'm one of those, uh, and, and Ken, Ken is very much like that too. He's crossed over into different areas of research on TV. I mean, I, I predominantly was a Sasquatch researcher and then, got blessed to do the Loch Ness, uh, the, the special with Nat Geo and Loch Ness. And uh, yeah. recently, and in fact, the last couple of times I've been on television is for the paranormal stuff and demonology. And I, I see a little bit of a difference in in uh, in how things can go awry with the paranormal versus the cryptid. And uh, I, I don't know if, Ken, if you've experienced any of that, but in the paranormal side of things, uh, the production companies like juicing up the stories, you know, making things a little more drastic sometimes than they are. Uh, the one uh, showing I, I did, uh, I was on, I have another one that's probably going to come out sometime in November of this year. Uh, I was in an episode of Paranormal Survivor a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, there was an episode where the, this chair moved. Now, it only had moved a few inches, but in the, in the video, they have it going, you know, almost across the floor, you know, a lot more dramatic uh, than in effect. And then there was another one, which I, w- I was kind of in the background of um, that air. That was actually, um, uh, I believe it was Haunted Case Files um, that this one was on. Um and the story on that uh, completely got twisted around because they what they did was they condensed uh, an ongoing story that took approximately three years, and they condensed it to make it look like it happened over two different occasions. And that really torqued a lot of people on our team, uh, not so much to the public because the public doesn't know the, 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 you know, the actuality of it. But what my my teachable point to the people that were involved in that was, well, now you have something to talk about in your lectures. You know, hey, here's the here's part of the program. This is where it differentiates from. And I I think I did something like that uh, the year I went out to uh, when we did Chautauqua. Ken, I, I think that was the year I did the 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 TV what you know versus reality. I I did that presentation. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of shows, and I and I did a bunch of stuff on the Loch Ness special that I did, and some of the differences that actually had happened. But I mean, what's been your experience, Ken, with that? Yeah, you kind of, you know, it's it's a bit of a roll of the dice. You always hope for the best, and when you talk to, you know, typically when I talk to producers before, you know, any opportunity to do a show, I stress that my reputation, my integrity, is important to me that I'm a spokesperson and an ambassador to the field, so I'm not going to be involved in any fakery or anything like that. Um, and typically, you know, producers are, you know, most of the producers I've been fortunate that I've worked with, they've, they've been pretty much along that line. They want it to be smart. They want it to be, you know, uh, to, to reach out to kind of people and, and get them to think critically. But, um, you know, you do unfortunately have those oddball situations. One One show that I did back in... 2013 that was a mistake in retrospect was a show called Monster Project and it was on Net Geo Wild and 
uh, I did this chupacabra episode, and they told me that you know all the right things were going to be smart and scientific and whatever. And then at the very end, when they finally saw it, they had put this comedian guy as the host of the show, and he was basically just cutting wisecracks and making fun of all of us and mm. acting stupid. And this, uh, yeah, so it was just you know the whole thing just turned into kind of a farce, and I was really disappointed that I had kind of walked into that, but you know. So it's rare that those things happen. Now, I will say on other shows that I've been on, um, like you said, they don't, you know, they just juice it up. You know, like, you know, to Chris's point, I remember an episode of Monster Quest where we were looking for the Mm -hmm. Chupacabra, and all of a sudden we really did see in our flashlights some eyes shining a couple feet off the ground or what looked to be a couple feet off the ground, and we got excited because we're out there looking (laughs) where there's all these quote-unquote chupacabras. Oh, there are some shit. There's some eyes out there, you know, and we're shining a light on it. And then, you know, it was a rabbit. So, but, of course, they didn't reveal that until, as you said, see that for the commercial. (laughs) They wanted to capture that. Little things like that where they try to grab people and kind of get them juiced up. Yeah. but that's just the entertainment side of it. They, again, they really they trying to keep yeah. people every as many people as possible tuned in for that whole hour. So yeah. But you know they're all they're all different. You know every show. Yeah. I've done some really the really the smartest ones I've done have been with European production companies. I've been fortunate to work with some German and British production companies, and they're always kind of more old school documentary. They just want to do the kind of, you know, uh, uh, a lot of information and, you know, just, uh, it can be a little drier, but to me, I I like that kind of stuff when it's just, you know, as much good information as possible without as as many theatrics. Yeah. Hey, Steve, Tactical Bigfoot Research in the chat just put out a great question. You want to take this one or you want me to grab it? Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. So, uh, Tack, our good friend, Mike, I uh, would like to know, where is your favorite place to look for cryptids? Oh, wow. Um, but I've been – well, I guess this this, is, this isn't a bucket list. Okay? It's somewhere I've, I've been or I guess I've been repeatedly. Yep. Um, man, I'm really uh, – I love the jungle. So, like, I've done some, some research down in, like, the jungles of Central America, like in Belize and some of those areas and – yeah. Uh, I I like the potential. Whenever you go into a really like tropical kind of uh, canopy or, or forested tropical forest habitat, I feel like there's so much potential because usually those areas are fairly, you know, they're pretty uninhabited wilderness kind of areas. The biodiversity is very rich. You have a lot of resources there in terms of water and food sources. So, I mean. Those things always are exciting to me because they they present a lot of viability for different cryptids. You know, it's like wow, there so could there could be something out here because you know yeah. it's it's so dense and there's you yeah. know it makes sense biologically. Um, but of right. course, working in working in Alaska was pretty amazing too. I mean, that's a that's kind of a even though it's not a tropical climate. I mean, the the the, the uh, the habitats up there are just unreal in terms of, you know, yep. the river systems. And, I mean, there's like three million lakes in the state of Alaska. Think about that for a second. And then you got <laughs> salmon runs and all kinds of wildlife. And, you know, and the population density is low. That's always exciting when you go to an area, you know, as, as, as opposed to searching for a, 
you know, a cryptid on the outskirts of the Dallas Metroplex. I mean, versus, you know, going somewhere where you're just out in the middle of nowhere and saying, wow, there there really could literally be something out here that people don't know about. So, yeah, good question, though. Oh. And uh, Mike, is, Mike is back to the the Mapanguari, which uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago we had on uh, mm. Ray Sheasley, who's an entomologist, who actually spent time in uh, the uh, the rainforests uh, dealing yeah. with uh, the FARC incursions back in the 80s and uh, actually had gotten lost for 22 days on his own. Great tale of survival there. Uh, but yeah. his him and his unit had two encounters with the Mapanguari, and uh, that was a really cool thing. But have you heard of stories of the Mapanguari firsthand by anybody? No, I honestly have not, man. I mean, it's you know, it's definitely of interest. To, I'm sure to to many cryptozoologists and people that are interested in the in the subject. Uh, I, of course, most of the information I've heard is. Uh, you know, the research that David Oren did down there in the 90s and stuff when he collected a lot of eyewitness accounts and from the native people. And um, there were actually several, I was surprised, there were several accounts of them being shot by hunters and things. I think uh, he interviewed at least three different hunters that claimed that they'd shot one. And, and you know, that that's always kind of a frustrating scenario because you've, your natural inclination is, where's the body? You know, where's the body, man? You know, if they, right. they can track yeah. that thing down, we can put this thing to rest right now, you know. But uh, frustratingly, uh, you know, as, as always happens, the, the remains vanished in, in some mysterious unknown locations. So. Yeah, and, well, in the rainforest, that's not a big surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another uh, good point. Things go quickly, you but know, no, I've I've never never uh, gotten any firsthand accounts on that particular cryptid. Very cool. Um, so uh, the uh, now I we've talked about this before, and 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 I always find this a very fascinating topic, and it's not necessarily a, a ground-based cryptid, but the uh, flying humanoids. Have there been any new flying humanoid stuff going on? I haven't heard much of it lately. Uh, well, of course, there was that big flap up near Chicago, in and around Chicago, and that was wow. documented by uh, researcher Lon Strickler of the Phantoms and Monsters website. Another guy that'll be, I think, over at the uh, Pennsylvania Absolutely, uh, yep. Bigfoot Camping Adventure. So Lon does a good job of, of uh, uh, posting accounts of some, you know, some of the lesser, weirder, lesser known, weirder creatures out there. And of course, uh, he had several uh, different accounts that he'd collected on that. Uh, he's got a book out. I haven't had a chance to read the book, but he was gracious to send me a lot of the uh, of the eyewitness uh, accounts when they were coming out. And so um, uh, that was, I think, maybe two years ago now. My time is flying, maybe a year ago. Um, as far as my own um, research, I've you know, I get contacted from time to time by people that have claimed to have had experiences. Uh, very recently, I heard from a gentleman, well, two interesting accounts. They're uh, really just so incredible that, you know, you, you kind of scratch your head. But, I mean, I, I've interviewed both both witnesses, and they both seem uh, at, at least sincere in their belief that they did see something very unusual. Um, one guy claims that he saw, uh, this was in Arizona, um, he claims that, that uh, he saw a bat-like creature that was about 12 or 14 feet tall. 
and he said it had red glowing eyes and large teeth, uh, wings and arms, uh, 14-foot wingspan. I mean, this sounds like a monster out of a, a science fiction movie, right? Yeah. Grayish, grayish pink skin, three-fingered claws. Um, so anyways, I mean, I kind of went back to board with him a couple of times, and uh, he he says his friend, I haven't interviewed his friend yet, but he had a friend that uh, he said he would put me in touch with. Uh, this guy was real sincere. He said, I, I, you know, I know you think I'm crazy, but I saw this thing. It was kind of out in a remote area of Arizona out there in the desert. So uh, that was kind of a weird, I don't know if it would be a flying humanoid or some kind of just weird gargoyle type of creature. And then yeah. uh, e- even more recently than that, I just recently got a report from a guy um, and this guy was out in West Texas, where I get a lot of reports of flying humanoids, uh, yeah. remote areas near the Panhandle. And he claims he was up in a little town there, and he saw something flying over that was basically like a, a man-shaped form with wings, giant bat-like wings. And but he said it also had a beak. It had a human-like body, but it had a beak and hmm. uh, some other weird features. So those are the most recent. Hmm. You know, the, one of the frustrating things about the flying humanoid phenomenon, or you know, frustrating only because you can't really build a a good hypothesis, is that the descriptions vary so dramatically from eyewitness to yeah. eyewitness. I mean, except right. for the Mothman, where you had a lot of similar descriptions. You know, when you when you get these different reports from anywhere, they're just they're you know the the, the physical descriptions are radically different, and um, so that's why I. I personally think that the flying humanoids represent some kind of spectral non-physical phenomenon like a manifestation of some kind of energy or a shape-shifting thing that people see and interpret in different ways yeah Uh, yeah. and and i'm almost wondering if the mothman is that as well that it's something you know supernatural rather than you know ground-based or or you know biological um because to me, you know, that your descriptions of the, they could all, you know, get lumped into. Well, it, it does sound a little bit like the Mothman, but you know, sometimes people, and and this will happen in witnesses, and I know this from interviewing hundreds of people, uh, in in all various uh, likes, you know, from people who witness crimes, from people who who've uh, witnessed accidents, from people who who witness cryptids. Um, you know, no two people will see the same thing, right? And and uh, it will vary a, a little bit from time to time. And you have to wonder that <clears throat> you wonder what kind of you know influence they had, perhaps you know, watching a television program prior to this, or <clears throat> maybe they 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 saw a movie with a, a gargoyle-like creature, so they see this. And some of their interpretation of what their mind is seeing is what it knows or what it can relate to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that happens a lot too. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's a great, I, great point. I've got a go ahead, Ken. I got a question for you while we got you on here, man. I'm working on something new here, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna try to pick your brain for just a minute if you'll allow me. Uh, have you have you ever had the chance to speak to anybody about an encounter? Where they had seen uh, a Bigfoot type creature uh, drinking, uh, drinking from a stream or drinking from a body of water or anything. Um, hmm, boy, that's uh, that's a good one. I'm gonna have to think about that for a second. 
Mm-hmm. I, like personally, you're talking about my personal firsthand eyewitness investigations and testimonies, right? Not that I heard an account or read of an account somewhere, but someone I've personally talked yeah, to. Yeah, just somebody or... that you've talked to, right, yeah. I'm trying hmm. to get, uh, you know, uh, differing bits of information from different sources if I can. I got you. Man, I honestly, I, I may have to think about that a little bit, Chris, but off the top of my okay. head, I can't think of any, okay. any witnesses that I've spoken to that, that – that claimed that it was actually drinking water or in the act yeah, of drinking right. water when they saw yeah. it. So, yeah, that, uh, that that would be an actual a very very small percentage of people. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, the percentage the percentage of people that actually have seen one is really small to begin with. And then now you, I, I've added something else on there: the the percentage of people that seen one doing something, and that that really cuts it way back. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. They, I mean, they've got to drink water if they're flesh and blood. So, yeah. Um, I mean, they're certainly seen around water a lot. But uh, no, I'll 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 have to get back with you on that one, buddy. I'll I'll check my uh, my okay. archives and see if I've got any ca- accounts like that. That maybe I, maybe I just can't think of those okay. at the moment. Okay, that's great. That's fine, Ken. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, uh, earlier in our in our opening monologue, I talked about this new uh, trail cam uh, picture yeah. that has come out, and um, uh, the, this is the description of uh, what came out was uh, an American hunter living in northwestern Pennsylvania uh, shared a very unusual snapshot. According to the man, in recent weeks, he began to notice that someone was chasing him from the forest. A dark silhouette appeared on the, on the hills, hiding behind trees and rocks. The man, surprised and even somewhat frightened by this, decided to find out whose attention he drew to himself, what animal was following him. And so he set up several trap cameras in the forest. Cameras that react to movement, take pictures. Okay, we can go on with that. Um, uh, the American received several dozens of, of such pictures, but then the camera caught a mysterious stranger for whom it actually was was actually placed. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is a foreign website. Um, the most amazing thing is that he clearly approached the camera and it looked directly into its lens, apparently because of curiosity. A shaggy mass of figure similar to a monkey was imprinted well enough on the photo so that it could not be confused, for example, with a falling leaf. Of course, many, including the hunter himself, felt that the device had caught the legendary Bigfoot. Perhaps this alleged relic hominid noticed that the camera strikingly stands out against the background of everything around and began to look at the uh, strange object with surprise. And of course, Ken, that was the picture that uh, you had made the comment on, is that the trail camera itself, the picture itself, um, appears to be blurry and, uh, you know, out of focus, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, not something a trail camera is known to do very well is to get out of focus. Um, not particularly and, not in this day and age. I mean, the new trail cameras. Yeah. What do they have? They're all like sixteen megapixels and stuff. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the pictures are friggin' um, amazing. I mean, they're super vivid when they catch something. So. Yeah, I mean, even an eight megapixel, which is what I use I, because they're older, but they've never given me a really blurry shot. And my concern with the pictures is, is where's the timestamps for the trail camera? Where's uh, the yeah, stand? That's, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Where are your traditional? You know, to me, it looks like a a a, a stage photo, purposely blurred to 
you know, kind of cross that line. Of course, these are my first impressions. Um, I would love to talk to the man responsible for getting that that uh, particular picture because uh, I'd like to, you know, kind of put it to the test. You know, okay, so, you know, and, and like anything, you want follow up. Like, where was the camera placed? Where was the area? Well, you know, you know, so is some background. And um, so, uh, considering it's Northwest Pennsylvania, that actually is pretty close to uh, uh, TAC. Yeah. So who's got who's got the dead mic? I heard somebody saying dead mic. Uh, I think Tack Mike uh, Mike may may need to refresh his. Uh, chat oh, okay. Room yeah, there. he's he's out of the he's out of the chat now, so he's yeah. probably refreshing. Yeah. Which does happen from time to time for those who. Um, yeah, yeah. No block. He said he had a dead mic, and I, I, it kind of scared me. I asked him, "Can you hear Steve?" Because all I was doing was sitting there going, "Uh huh, yeah, mm-hmm," while Steve's talking. <laughs> so if he couldn't hear you, that's going to sound kind of odd. Yeah. Well, there should be no reason. But <clears throat> anyway, if anybody wants to call in and have a question for Ken or one of us, our uh, our call our listener call in line is area code six four six 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 eight two nine eight two. That's 646-668-2982, and we're on with Ken Gerhard for about the next oh, half hour or so. And Ken, we're gonna we're gonna let Ken go a little bit early tonight because he is a busy guy, and he took uh, and I really appreciate this. He took time out of his busy schedule to spend some time with us tonight. So, um, so uh, I, I'm I'm really Ken. I, one thing I, I I need to put out there is, do you have your own website so people can get your books and all that too? We'll put that out there while we're. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have a website. Thanks for for asking. It's KenGerhard.com, and uh, there are a lot of articles, photos, uh, links to other websites, and um, links to buy my books uh, through Amazon or other online sellers. Um, people can message me there. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work great. So, uh, if it doesn't go through there, you can also find me on Facebook. I have a, a Ken Gerhard Cryptozoologist fan page, and uh, I check my messages on there uh, regularly. So, um, yeah, that's uh, about all. I don't, unfortunately, I don't haven't gotten into the Twitter thing or Instagram or you know. I, I know uh, social media is a big part of it these days, but I just man, I can barely keep my Facebook page open. You know, it's like, yeah. How am I going to juggle all these other things? So. Uh, well, I, if I don't if I don't do the other stuff, if I don't do the other stuff, somebody yells at me, and he's in the chat room right now. So I gotta <laughs> he'll yell at me. Well, like he's probably mad at me that I did not post the show on Instagram tonight. But uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not I'm not really good on social media. You know, I do have a Facebook uh, thing account thing, but I think right now it's probably locked up because I hadn't used it in like a year and a half or something. <laughs> I need to start uh, doing better on that deal. That's Chris and his internet for you. He's got the, he's got this new high speed internet. For what? <laughs> so you can watch he, he's watching TV shows. That's what he's got. It for. That's right. That's the nation of oh, America. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's my channel, baby. <laughs> he's watching. He's watching the barbecue cook-offs now. <laughs> yeah, that where, thing. Uh, this is the first weekend that I've had Destination America that I could watch it, and uh, it shows a bunch of uh, big belly guys like me cooking barbecue ribs and crap. And <laughs> I, I haven't seen 
I haven't seen one cryptid show yet this weekend, but that's okay. Well, that's because they're not on there anymore. They moved them all over. As yeah. a matter of fact, yeah. that, that that little move there um, caused quite a shakeup with uh, one particular show, The Ghost of Shepherdstown, because uh, the the flagship paranormal show for the Travel Channels is, of course, Ghost mm-hmm. Adventures. And, yeah. Um, so very interesting how that all turned out. <laughs> uh, what, what ended up happening was is Ghost of Shepherdstown has gotten, with the exception of the police chief and the psychic, who I've both met at the at the Rochester Parafest, um, uh, the, the the entire cast has been replaced. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Well, it's interesting how that stuff changes. Um, we really, I think a lot of it really should uh, credit goes to Josh Gates because uh, he he really blew up on Travel Channel with with all of his Expedition Unknown shows, and and then they bounced him up yep. to Discovery. Discovery and Travel are connected in yep. Destination yeah. America. So I guess uh, jo- uh, De- Discovery Channel has now become the Josh Gates Network, and then yeah. all of us bo- all of us bottom feeders can now sneak onto the Travel Channel. <laughs> yeah. and but unfortunately, that as you indicated, that that turns Destination America into something completely different now. So I guess that's kind yeah. of the the fallout from all that. So it's, it's interesting how all that stuff happens. Yeah, it, yeah it, Josh. Josh is a, is so funny, man. He is hilarious, and he has had this plan for several years because he said several years ago that he always thought his show would be like a travel adventure show, and he should be on the Travel Channel. Well, lo and behold, there he is. <laughs> and if people uh, if people uh, keep their ear to the ground like I have, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, Josh Gates originally was on the History Channel. Um, yeah, with with uh, Expedition Unknown, and uh, there was another show that they would often cross over onto, and that was Ghost Hunters. And if people mm-hmm. keeping their ear close to the ground, uh, Jason Hawes, who is the founder of Taps, uh, has been hinting that there is a new show of brewing. And my guess that's either going to be on Discovery or one of the Discovery Networks as well. Mm, yep, that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, so, <clears throat> and uh, I I knew about this for actually a couple of years ago when I ran into Jason Hawes down in uh, Scarefest uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, yeah, well, uh, very cool stuff. Ken, uh, at the at the effort of of straining your patience here, buddy, I, I know you've told us before, but uh, somebody listening to the show tonight may not be. Uh, aware of it, but uh, have you had a Bigfoot sighting of your own uh, in the past? Um, I've never seen one with my own eyes, um, unless you would consider that I may have seen eye shine, and to put that in context, and because I don't know for sure, uh, basically summer of 2005, I was with Chester Moore Jr., we were investigating a location called Little Cottonwood Lake in North Texas where there had been a lot of sightings. Very remote lake, yeah. very difficult to get to. Yeah. Sun went down. I uh, had a video camera rolling. We were hiking around the lake. We heard grunting primate-type sounds, uh-huh. very uh-huh. loud and deep. Yeah. Sounded like an yeah. ape. 
Um, we were not able to see what was making the sounds. It was about 40 yards away in some thick brush, and we couldn't flush it out, and we were kind of nervous anyways because we only had one gun between the four of us, and it's, things right. sounded really big right. big and pissed off. So, um, yeah. But we moved to a higher vantage point on the lake, and we had a spotlight, and shining the spotlight down where we had heard the sounds, we did get some, some eye shine reflection. It looked like right. it was at, at least six or seven feet off the ground. It was hard to tell, but it looked very high up too high for a deer yeah. so i don't really consider that a sighting but i did see you know what what may have been the eyes of a bigfoot and then you know of course i i often tell the story that i did find other evidence the next morning when we were able to make our way into that area we found footprints and some mutilated uh turtle uh shells that had been ripped in half like pistachio uh-huh. yeah and uh so i mean that all of that to me was like the the most convincing thing that I've experienced personally, and that's like one time in, you know, 30 or 40 years of doing field work. So, well, see, uh, that's that's why I, what what gets me about about your your side of your encounter is uh, that uh, you went back the next day in the area and uh, done some recon searching for secondary evidence and came up with it. And uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, I, I just believe what you what you had seen that earlier uh, that night before was uh was uh, uh one of these creatures and uh, well, i think yeah. that a lot of people a lot of people end up not going back after they have an encounter of that type and uh, i think it's a mistake i think we all need to go back and look during the daylight and see what we can find because there may be something on the ground uh heck you never know you could end up with a hair sample or something yeah, you're right. Physical trace evidence is really, I mean, that's, you know, short of a body. I mean, you know, but if you could find, right. you know, some hair or blood or, right. skin, you know, something that, you know, and of course nowadays with the DNA testing, you know, as advanced as that's getting, I mean, if if you can find something that's been eating, you know, I mean, find some, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something with bite, you know, the, who knows? I mean, it's possible, but you're right. That's an important part of of gathering evidence is, you know, finding something physical or corporeal that can be, you know, studied or tested. Right. Yeah, I have uh, and, I have high hopes for the eDNA now, man. I keep saying that on every show, you know, but it, it's just it's the, the latest technology to come out, and uh, I think it's really going to do a lot to, to help us uh, solve this mystery. You know, um, for sure. One of the one of the interesting things that that Ken had mentioned was the the, the turtle shells, and uh, you know I had never known that, but uh, just to to correlate some stuff, uh, I was investigating a rash of Bigfoot sightings in East Texas, oh probably about twelve years ago, and one of the things uh, I had uncovered was these emptied out turtle shells. Right. I mean. Yep. Num- uh, scores of them. I mean, like, you know, like ten or a dozen, or you know, fifteen of them. I mean, it was, it was, it was like, what the heck is eating all these turtles? You know, yeah. and they had been just, you know, like, like you said, they had been like, and any, they were just the shells. That's all that was left of them. And yeah, uh, there's, uh, I can't think of any animal that would do that normally. I mean, yep. or you know, without leaving a mess. I mean, if if it was a coyote or something like that, right. I think it would be. But um, yeah, I mean, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, if it exists, is it's a massive generalist omnivore, right? So it's got to be out there eating everything in sight. So I mean, t- 
turtles seem like they'd be a pretty good, since these things are seen around the water so often, mollusks. I mean, obviously everyone's heard that, you know, the yep. accounts of them digging for clams and different things, yep. but uh, turtles, I think, would also be a good good source of food. Now, I can't usually catch a turtle. They're pretty damn fast, but I, I guess a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch may have figured out a way to do that, so... And you know one of, one of the prevailing theories that that, and I want to get your take on it is that, you know, there's a lot of people that you know when you and I've heard this in several places. I've heard this in the Adirondacks, I've heard this in Kentucky, and I've heard reports of this from researchers all over the country about coyotes wailing either before, during, or after Sasquatch howls. And there seems to be some correlation between the coyotes and a Sasquatch, like the Sasquatch follows them. And my guess would be is they're waiting for the coyotes to take down something, and the Sasquatch will move in and and grab their kill. I mean, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, that makes sense. I mean, that that happens. There are other examples of similar things in nature, where other species will follow, you know, vultures, for example, you know, to to, to find carrion. Or, um, uh, well, what was the example I heard the other day? There was a, a, a another example of a certain animal species that basically uh, they'll follow around, as you said, coyotes or other animals that are going to, you know, basically provide a a free meal, you know, something that they can just steal away, you know. So, yeah. I mean, in, on the African savanna, I mean, you have that kind of tug-of-war between lions and hyenas and yep. wild pigs and different animals that'll just basically, leopards that'll just spend a lot of time kind of chasing each other off. And, and uh, you know, it would make sense that any animal would take advantage of, of that type of behavior pattern and, uh, you know, less energy exerted if all you have to do is just walk up and, and to that point, Steve, I mean, there, there seem to be a, a reasonable number of accounts of uh, Bigfoot stealing salmon out of uh, fishermen's nets, particularly in the Pacific right. Northwest, or stealing yep. deer carcasses. I'm sure you guys have heard those yep. stories about hunters that claim they've shot deer and then a Bigfoot stepped out of the brush and just scooped it up and ran off. You know, so <laughs> yeah, and, and and a much forgotten story. Um, and I don't know if you remember. Remember that story? It was called the Siege and. Honubby? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Very famous. And and uh but a lot of the newer people have kind of forgot that story or have never even heard of that story. And uh I mean I I actually spoke to the gentleman who who was on that property and he was uh the he was a member of Bigfoot Forums for many years. Um and uh they Something was raiding their deer lockers. Of course, they were big-time hunters, and that's how they mm-hmm. kept themselves fed and had meat. And uh, then they would see the glowing eyes, you know, in the forest, and they were starting to take shots, and it wasn't scaring them, and they couldn't figure out why. And a lot of times they would shoot a deer, and they would go out to get it, and it was gone. It had been dragged off or picked up or carried off, I should say. Um and, and what they realized was that the gunfire actually was the Sasquatch's dinner bell. They would hear these shots, <laughs> and they would start looking for what the, the hunters would drop. Oh, wow. Because that was okay. a, and that was a very free and that's why they couldn't scare them off with gunfire. Yeah. And they, and that that was the unnerving part of that. 
But there was a lot more to that story too. I mean, they were <clears throat> they were walking on on the people's porches at night. They were try they were rattling the doors. They were banging on the windows. Uh, very similar to what happened in Falk. Um And uh, a lot of people don't re- don't even know of um, the Gaelic farm here in uh, in Vermont, just over the uh, the the canal that goes to uh, North Bay. In, uh, across mm-hmm. from Whitehall, New York, very similar uh, things as well as they heard those, the guys on the porch and you know rattling doors and walking around. And the, the Gaelic family had a number of of experiences. And this all happened in the early '60s, prior to any knowledge of what happened in Falk, Arkansas. Prior to you know the incident at Abair, which kind of made Whitehall the Bigfoot capital of New York. And and a lot of those things are very pertinent information. And I think as an investigator, one of the things I I, I do as an investigator is, um, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm an investigator. So I take these accounts and put them together and are there common MOs and patterns and stuff like that? And the answer is clearly yes, and when you have people from all parts of the country that don't know each other's stories and they're coming up with very similar stories, we are seeing mm-hmm. a common culprit here. And, you know, that, that that's just M.O. And that's how, you know, if there's a series of bank robberies, that's how police put together. If there's a series of murders, if there's a series of crimes that are all connected, that's how the police put them together and come up with a common suspect. Well, this is a very broad term, and and that's why when I hear these things, it triggers me so much to go, wow, stuff like the turtle shells, stuff like the freshwater clams, like you mentioned. I was in Texas, too, and saw all of that as well. So that that is just phenomenal and just reinforces that these creatures, to me, exist. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It is interesting sometimes when you really delve into the the subject matter that you, as you said, you find these kind of interesting correlations and tie-ins, and sometimes a little bell goes off in your head, and you think, "Well, that's interesting." You know, that, you, that you're getting kind of similar information about these these creatures that uh, from different parts of the country, from completely disparate sources. Exactly, and. Um... No, it's it's, uh, it's phenomenal, and, and <clears throat> it never fails that, you know, when we, we talk to other researchers, all of a sudden these little bells go off. And, um, you know, even with other cryptids, like like you were mentioning, the, the, the gargoyle-type creatures and its similarities to the Mothman a little bit. Not quite the same, but, but it, yeah, well, it's red, similar. Yeah, with the red glowing eyes and the bat-like yep. wings and stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you look at that and go, "Hey, wait a minute." Um, you know, the, the the gentleman with the beak. Maybe he had seen a thunderbird. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know. You know, what's your experience with you know taking thunderbird reports, or if there's been any recent? Um, and I will say this: my brother, who was a retired police officer, um, knew I was getting into this Bigfoot stuff, and uh, when he was alive, at one point, I would say it was probably circa 2008 had asked me, um, have there ever been any reports of a huge bird? And I'm like, why do you ask? And he said, well, I was traveling down the Taconic State Parkway in New York, which is 
the freeway that runs parallel to kind of the freeway, except for it runs on the on the uh, on the east side of the Hudson River, and it's a lot more remote. It goes through a lot of the remote towns of of eastern New York and uh, borders with uh, Massachusetts in a lot of places, and then eventually Connecticut. And he had said, uh, "Well, I'm driving down the." Thruway or the Taconic State Parkway one day, and I see this huge bird. It must have had like a 15 foot wingspan. It was just tremendous. And it just kind of flew over, and you know, from one side of the parkway trees to the other, and it was gone. He goes, But I could not believe it. And he knew nothing of the thing called Thunderbirds. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that was really profound to me that. You know, my brother, who is a very sane uh, gentleman, who was a police officer for 20 years, who was, uh, you know, a criminalist, basically, and uh, testified in court against murderers and rapists and all the other sort, that would say, hey, you know, I I got this dumb question I want to ask you. And, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me going as these little... um, So uh, are we having problems yeah, that's with the broadcast? man. Actually, where, where is that? Where in upstate New York is that? Is it it's closer to Massachusetts, you said, like eastern? <clears throat> yeah, it's eastern New York uh, along the Conic State Parkway. Mm-hmm. Um, it would probably be somewhere, uh, you know, west of the Pittsfield area. Um, I don't know Mass very well um, enough to know, but... You know, if you look at the map, it would run, you know, south because uh, the Taconic State Parkway runs north-south. And it would probably be maybe 100, um, 100 miles north of New York City where he oh, wow. observed maybe about 90 miles north of New York City. Well, I don't so, remember the that, specifics, but there was a, a, a pilot um, – who claims a businessman slash pilot filing a, flying a small plane in the 1960, 64, I think, that claimed he saw a Thunderbird over the Hudson River. I don't remember exactly where that was, but he said it looked really prehistoric. That's kind of a well-known account. And, of course, yep. uh, you know, farther to the west, north-central Pennsylvania, of course, has kind of a, always been a traditional hotbed of, of Thunderbird sightings dating back to the the late 19th century, and then there were rashes of sightings there in the 1940s, 70s, and, and so on and so forth. So um, uh, that you know, that, that's something you can tell your brothers. They well, yeah, there are actually a lot of reports in Pennsylvania and uh, occasionally here in New York too. So yeah, so that yeah, just amazing stuff. Um, uh, Steve, so we got another question for Ken in the chat here, but fire one. Fire away. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, well, Ken, our, our good friend Kite Quatch has come up with a question here for you. It says, uh, mm-hmm. does he consider there to be a connection between Thunderbirds and the extinct Teratorn birds? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think Teratorns are kind of the leading candidates to explain the Thunderbird sightings. I mean, mm-hmm. you had these massive birds uh, in North America up until at least, 12,000 years ago at the end of the Ice Age, the Pleistocene, and you know maybe they outlived that, that time period. But there have been hundreds of Teratorn fossils found. 
mostly in the western states, uh, the La Brea Tar Pits in California, some in Nevada, Oregon. And uh, in the east, I think they've found some, some Teratoran fossils in Florida. Um, there was one species, uh, Teratornis uh, mariami, which was kind of the, the, the most prevalent species that, that we know of yeah. uh, from fossils. We had about a 12-foot wingspan. But there was a larger species called Aeolornis. And mm-hmm. Aeolornis was the genus. Uh, that thing probably, based on reconstructions, probably had a wingspan closer to eight, 17 or 18 feet across. And wow. uh, these, these birds were basically uh, in the same family as uh, vultures, modern vultures and right. storks. Uh, I think they're called the Asiconeiforms. And so right. they probably were big, nasty, weird, ugly-looking birds and may have had a hooked beak, kind of a raptor-like beak, like a vulture. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the most rational explanation. If you're looking for a candidate to explain modern Thunderbird sightings, uh, yeah. surviving population of teratorns uh, would be the most, you know, because, I mean, beyond that, I mean, the uh, the largest bird known birds in North America I mean, obviously you have the California condors with like a nine or ten foot wingspan, but those are all those are heavily endangered, and those are all monitored closely in California, right. Grand Canyon, the areas where they they live. And then after yeah. that, you have like um, uh, golden eagles can have an eight foot wingspan. Um, pelicans, I guess, white pelicans can maybe get up to ten feet, and maybe some of the bigger storks. But those birds are typically very bright and colorful, and uh, thunderbirds are always described as being kind of a dark color, black or charcoal or brown feathers. So, yeah, right. good question. I think the teratorn is the now that there's, of course, a as as is always the case with a cryptid, there's, there's a problem in terms of, you know, I mean, if you had a population of teratorns, you'd have to have, you know, probably at least a thousand of them somewhere. Yeah. You know, to have a, breed, a viable breeding population, right. spread, even if they're spread out. So if there's a thousand birds out there with an 18-foot wingspan, 15-foot wingspan, I mean, why aren't they being seen more often? Or are they? Yeah. I mean, people just aren't reporting yeah. it. It's going to be hard to miss a big bird like that. <laughs> but yeah, I'll tell you there's what, no, there's, there's no physical I think, evidence. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the thing that I think about is that it's really extra cool is uh, with these pterodorns, you know, they were alive at the same time our human ancestors were alive. Sure. And, um, you know, un- unlike a pterodactyl or something from the, uh, uh, you know, 65 million years ago, uh, these 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 birds were alive when our ancestors were here. And uh, I'm certain that our ancestors would have probably been had to watch their small children very closely. <laughs> Yeah, 10,000, 11,000 years ago, that's nothing, man. Mm. I mean, you think about the big scheme of things. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's not like the dinosaurs were like right. know, 65 million years ago. I mean, 10,000 yeah. years, I mean, that's that's like the dawn of civilization right there. So, yeah. Yeah. who knows? Yeah, and, and, the, and the, the saber tooth and the mammoths and all that wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's, you know... Uh, to to do this stuff, uh, you know, you just gotta have uh, you gotta have a rich appreciation for science and history. I mean, they all go hand in hand when you talk about this stuff, and it's just uh, amazing. And uh, you know, people think that you know, if people think that cryptozoology or you know, even bigfooting is nothing but tree knocking and whooping, 
You know, they, it's the farthest thing. It's so many different facets to all of this stuff. And um, just unreal. Um, one thing I do want to cover real quick, too, is, um, uh, and, and I will, I will, uh, I will say this. I was talking to a gentleman once, uh, who shall remain nameless, who is getting hung up that people call themselves cryptozoologists. You know, mm-hmm. what degree is a cryptozoologist, and you know, yada yada yada. And to me, um, you know, what, what kind of gets me is, well, what makes a person a, a philatelist? And uh, you know, people that don't understand what a philatelist is, it's a stamp collector. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so that's the technical term for a person who collects stamps is a philatelist. It's a title, but it's a non-sanctioned you know, <laughs> sanctioned title. And if you study the topic, then you can call yourself a tie, that, I suppose. And, uh, you know, he was just too hung up on titles, I suppose. But Yeah, well, that's a good point, but you're right. And there's, you know, people ask me all the time if there's a scientific degree or if that's required, and it's not. And I often preface what I tell people by telling them, "Hey, I'm not, I don't have a degree, or you know, I'm not, uh, and you know, there's no academic degree behind this." But you can also be what's called a citizen scientist, which means that huh? you know you can still follow scientific methodology, critically think critically, be objective, gather evidence, work work with other people for to have peer review and different things. You can still take a lot of the steps that a scientist will take and if you're a pragmatic person and you you, you know you think uh you know critically and analytically you know you can still contribute to a field of research and since there aren't any scientists for understandable reasons there aren't any real well there's a few I shouldn't say there aren't any there are very few scientists working in the field of cryptozoology you know that's that's important that other people do the do the work and do the research because I think you know, having spent my life looking into this stuff, I think there's a lot of evidence that some of these things do exist. And sadly and strangely, it's being the subject matter is being completely ignored by science. And I think it's mainly because they're worried about their reputations and grants and uh, you know their jobs and different things. So I understand all that, but uh, I really think the work uh, needs to be done because, I mean, Steve, you know, how many? people contact you on a regular basis and say, I don't know where else to go. I've seen something that I just can't explain yep. and you know, this is this is what happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ken, I know I, I said I would only keep you to ten fifteen tonight and it's uh or nine fifteen your time. We're approaching that. So uh, you know, I know you're a busy guy, so I wanna thank you for coming on tonight. And uh oh, you know thank any, any you, man any parting shots for our audience tonight? <laughs> well, uh, tune in. You mentioned uh, your research at, at Loch Ness. I, I really enjoyed that program you did for National Geographic. Yeah. So next, this coming Wednesday is going to be a double header on In Search of Monsters on the Travel Channel. At 8 o'clock, they're going to replay the Bigfoot episode, and then at 9 o'clock, they're going to debut the, the second episode, which is going to be the Loch Ness Monster and I believe Moth, Mothman's on deck for next week. So they're definitely going through a lot of interesting cryptids and mystery creatures. If, if people are interested, uh, I invite them to check out the show Wednesday nights on the Travel Channel. Awesome. 
Well, again, thanks for coming on, Ken. And uh, be safe, and I'll be seeing you in six weeks at uh, Benner's Meadow Run. Sounds good, brother. Really looking forward to it. And uh, hope you guys have a great night, and thanks to everyone who listened in. Uh, all right. Thank you, Ken. All right. Yeah, thanks for joining us. You got it, Chris. Thanks. Take care. Bye. So, anyway, that that was a great, great interview. I, I he He's a busy guy, so I wanted to make sure that, you know, he came on last minute for us, and I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't take up his whole entire night because he's got some – obviously, he's working on some deadlines on some stuff, so I want to cut him a little break. And, uh, and but, Ken's uh, a great guest, too, man. He, he's an awesome guest, and uh, he's actually uh, the type of person that investigates, you know, and that, that yep. says a lot right there. Uh, uh you know, I, I was just really impressed with his encounter where they went back the next day. And, you know, they yep. saw the eye shine that night. They heard the uh, vocal vocalizations. Then they went back in the next day to check things out and, sure enough, found some tracks. Yep. Yep. Just, uh, you know, that that's what it takes to get the job done, you know, is good research, solid research. You know, Ken right. is a critical thinker, and that that is important. Has some critical thinking. Yeah. Keep yourself ground based. Yeah. Keep yourself on uh, you know on the uh, on the uh, you know level. <laughs> so uh, yeah. anyway, well, I guess uh, we'll kick the show off a little early tonight, uh, since our guest had to pop out. No sense in us <laughs> continuing to blabber on the rest of the evening. But um, but what a great show. We're going to have a lot more exciting guests as the weeks unfold. And uh, I'm going to tell you, wait till, uh, wait till we uh, uh, get closer to the Pennsylvania trip. Uh, obviously, we, we got some, I got some field time coming up real soon. So we'll be reporting back to you on those as well. In fact, we may even have some audio clips and stuff from the field that we'll play. Oh, cool. uh on our show we obviously uh where we go a lot of times as far as some of the stuff there just isn't a uh you know a play a good viable signal for a live feed but um yeah you know what you know uh, obviously uh the show of uh june 2nd will not happen because that'll be a travel night for me i'll be coming home from pennsylvania after they close down the ceremonies at six o'clock um Uh, you know, there, there's just so many events uh, that are going on, uh, just unreal. Uh, myself, um, hang on, I'll, I'll give you my my schedule right now. Is uh, mm-hmm. officially uh, we have scratched Scarefest for the year, um, and that's because there's you know some team issues and you know just uh, you know the cost of of going to Scarefest. Uh, team-wise is a, a bit much, um, and yeah. I'm trying to call up a website for my official schedule, and Google Chrome is working. So uh, July 26th through the 28th, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to be at the third annual Gettysburg uh, Battlefield Bash. Uh, that's going to be at the Wyndham Hotel, and uh, that's going to have a whole litany of people, uh, most of the paranormal, um, but some of us... Uh, some uh, you know, this little crypto guy snuck his way in there. Um, October fourth <laughs> and fifth will be the Sci-Fi Horror Fest. Uh, that's in Oneonta, New York. 
that's in my backyard for, for, you know, as far as traveling goes, it's only about an hour and 45 minutes away. So that's around the corner. And of course, uh, the eighth annual Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo, which is October 11th and 12th, 2019. And then there's also going to be the Mid-South Paranormal, which is, I believe, going to be at the end of June. I think it's the 26th through the 28th. But don't quote me on those dates yet. I still have to put that up on the website. But those are those are some of the events I'm going to be at. And, uh, you know, the year is young. You know, the, I'm sure the Whitehall Festival will come up. Sasquatch Calling Festival will be coming up and a bunch of other things. So, um, but uh, i got to say that the Pennsylvania Bigfoot, uh, camping adventure is going to be phenomenal. Um, let me just read off some of the folks that are going to be there. Um, and I don't want to mess this up. Uh, and of course my internet is, uh, I don't know what's got it into Google Chrome lately, but it's acting slower than dog manure. Um, mm. It's it's like having, and I only have problems with Google Chrome. Um, I don't know what has happened to it. Like right now, my Google Chrome is completely locked up um, for whatever reason. Um, so I don't even know if the chat's working. Um, uh, it's working. Yeah, yeah, it's working. Yeah, my, my, I was, I was my, out of the chat for a minute. I was looking at a video that uh, Digger posted about the, a, a eagle attacking a goat. And it was yeah. on a mountainside, and this goat, like, took off running full speed down the mountain with an eagle clamped onto the back of his neck. And he was doing, he was doing flips and, and flops and everything else. He finally got away, but good Lord, he was fighting for his life. All right, so just yeah. so you know, uh, just give me one second. Um, yeah, go ahead, refresh if you need to. Uh, I have lost the control board. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's because it's it's completely locked up. Um, I'm going to get back on it real quick here if I can. Oh, you got to love technical difficulties. Um, yeah, I, 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 I can't even end the show. Um, so please bear with me, folks. I apologize. Um, I'm about ready to uh, scream at Google. I don't know what. <laughs> their uh, their product is, but it's gone downhill really bad lately, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, finally. Watson, open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Google Chrome has got has got Steve. I don't know, man. I think it's like a a a, a, a joining of forces between uh, Google Chrome and. Uh, the blog talk uh, site go. tonight because they're both cutting out. Our show cut off at forty one forty one. That's why, and I know it because my my show stopped. And of course, you know I've got my uh, to open the desktop up on the chat room, but uh, I keep my uh, show muted because we don't want that you know doubling voices in the background. But uh, right, sure yeah. enough, that's why, Mike, that's why Mike lost his uh, audio at forty one forty one. That uh, Digger says he uses Firefox. I do too, Digger, a lot. Uh, you know, the Google Chrome is kind of handy because you open it up and it's got all your favorites right in front of you, so you don't have to go over and click on your favorites and scroll down and all that crap. But uh, Firefox is pretty good. They do that too, uh, kind of. It's, you know, up at the top of the page. 
But uh, oh yeah, Kai says uh, he can still hear both of us in chat still working, but he's yeah. using Firefox. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the official lineup, the uh, guest celebrities uh, at the yeah. Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Avenger include Cliff Barrickman of uh, oh, Finding yeah. Bigfoot, Doctor Jeff Meldrum, of course Ken Gerhardt, our guest today, Bill Brock yeah. from uh, Monsters Underground. Uh, Stacy Brown, uh, the winner of the uh, $10 million Bigfoot bounty, um, yeah. and the the Ames team, of course, the Mountain Monsters guys. Oh, yeah, and, I love uh, that. And let's see, our speaker is, of course, Jay Pachochin, who you'll be seeing on a future episode of uh, <coughs> um, In Search of Monsters. Uh, Stan Gordon, longtime researcher. Uh, Dr. Paul Johnson. Rick Fisher, Dave Spinks, Dave Weatherly, uh, Rosemary and Ellen Guiley, who has written books on a number of topics, uh, Seth Breed, Love, obviously, uh, Ron Murphy, uh, Dr. Brian Parsons, uh, Dave Dragason, who's been on the show a number of times, and of course, yeah, hey, um, great guest. And of course, this character as well. Um, so it's yeah. going to be a, a lot, a lot of fun. Um, you know, you can all sleep through my lecture. That's fine. Um, and I'll be talking about, I'll be talking, of course, about um, the creature uh, written by Jan Clement and the information I have found on just who Jan Clement really is. And, um, yeah. you know, after parsing everything and doing a little background stuff, we pretty much uh, nailed the hammer or the nail. Yeah, yeah. we nailed the, the nail on the head with the hammer. So. Should be a well, fun, that's fun gonna time. Be, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be worth uh, your presentation, uh, going in to see your presentation on that, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of it will be going over the story of the creature and and uh, yeah. its background and its mystery and exactly how I came about to find out who the Jan Clement actually was and what the indicators are of that so, and is it a real story or isn't it? And what is going to happen in the future with it? So, a lot of interesting stuff. <clears throat> and it's kind of funny because one of the speakers, Dr. Paul Johnson, for years was suspected of being Jan Clement. Is he Jan Clement? We shall see. But <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> stay tuned. So, anyway, <laughs> hey, stay tuned. Um, but anyway, it's going to be a fun time, and the cool thing is is we do these night missions at nighttime, and it's going to be so much fun um, getting out there in the field with people like Dr. Meldrum and Cliff and Ken Gerhardt and uh, all the others, Bill Brock and, and Stacy. It should be a very interesting and fun event, so uh, please join us there if you can. It's worth the price of admission. So... Um, with that in mind, uh, again, I want to throw a thanks out to Ken Gerhard for being on with us. We'll be back here next Sunday night at 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Eastern on uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Squatch Detective, SquatchDetectiveRadio.com. You can check uh, my blog and all that other fun stuff out at SquatchDetective.com. Um, of course, what would Sasquatch do? Uh, available on Amazon. 50 Large also available on Amazon. Um, a couple of my books I wrote. So, uh, folks, on behalf of everybody here, we want to wish everybody a happy and safe week. 
keep healthy, folks. And, of course, God bless and keep on squats. And, Chris, good night, my brother. Good night, man. Thank you for listening to Squatch Detective Radio. Join us each week on Blog Talk Radio, Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern, as your hosts, veteran Bigfoot researchers, Steve Culls and Chris Bennett, bring you guests from around North America, exploring the mystery of the beast known as Bigfoot. Bigfoot.